what we've seen over time is that smaller billers are starting to demand more from their bill payment service providers. You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Chris D'Antuano. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Stuart Bain from Alacrity. Stuart, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on the call. Of course, really excited to have you on here. Stuart has a really good background, extensive background within the payments and software industry. Stuart, if you could, for our listeners, a brief background for yourself and how you ended up at Alacrity. Sure. From my accent, you can tell that I'm not from around the New York or New Jersey area. I'm originally from the UK, and uh, when I graduated from university, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I started working at Midland Bank, as was back in the UK, now HSBC, working in the mortgage department. From there, I discovered I had an aptitude for systems analysis and project management and moved between operations and IT. And in 2001, I was asked whether I wanted to come on assignment to the US to work on a joint venture that we were having uh, running with Yahoo at the time, which was their version of PayPal, effectively. So I moved over with my wife in 2002 and stayed at HSBC in the US for a further seven years. And eventually I decided that I had enough of working for a large corporation. And during that time, we've done many interesting things, global disbursement, real-time cross-border payments, the issues of prepaid cards. We were like a specialized payments shop, if you will. And, and an opportunity came up to effectively start to develop and roll out a product to be sold to the market at Alacrity, which is our Orbitay EBPP product, and I took the opportunity to move to a smaller company to get some experience of actually running an entire product from end to end. So having that background from you know the bigger organization to the smaller one, I believe you, you'll have a little bit more control, let's say the least. So exactly what uh, project in your position in the project for Alacrity did you, did you manage? So Alacrity developed an electronic bill payment and presentment product called Orbipay EBPP, uh, was developed from a, uh, an in-house pro- product that was developed for HSBC, now Capital One. And they wanted somebody to be a product manager to manage the productization of it, if you will. So uh, how to document it, how to sell it, how to do the implementations, how to do support. And I've done all of these things previously at HSBC. So they tapped into me initially to roll out the it's basically the enablement to roll out the product to market both direct to villas, but also through reseller banks and other uh, reseller type partners. So we started from scratch, basically, with clean sheet and said, OK, how do we want to sell this to the market? What does pricing look like? How do we, how do, we do implementations? And in 2010, I had uh, one developer and one implementation manager working with me. So it was a team of three. Um, as of the start of this year, I think I've got about 20 implementation managers, about the same count of developers, both in support and development for the product. So we've built it organically. Um, we've not taken on any VC money. So we're a privately held company with no debt on the books. So we've built the product from scratch from really off our own efforts. In guess diving in deeper within the build pace software itself, I guess over the landscape of trends, what have you seen within the bill pay industry, you know, going from HSBC to Alacrity? You know, what common trends are there, I guess, from your time at HSBC and then, you know, where we're at now, let's say, uh, within the bill pay industry? Yeah, so I think back in, say, 2005, people expected a sort of a pseudo multi-channel experience. If I made a payment in one channel, I could see it in another channel. 
So people, it was very siloed and really only very large billers could afford what I would consider complicated features and functions like an IPR or perhaps a web portal with electronic presentment and certainly any form of text payment was in its infancy. So what we've seen over time is that smaller billers are starting to demand more from their bill payment service providers. It's no longer just enough to have a simple web form that you fill in by hand to make a payment and then perhaps be able to phone somebody and make a payment. They're expecting that omnichannel experience where they can offer the types of features and functions they want to the clients. And they're expecting more advanced features and functions like text to pay, access to an IVR, better reporting for payments that are coming through so they can actually see trends over time, paperless billing, those types of things. And also the more new and emerging options that we offer as well, which is artificial intelligence. So we have a chatbot called Ella that can act as a virtual call center rep and take payments from Amazon, Google, and also through Facebook Messenger. And we're working on having one that can sit directly on the client's website. So what we're seeing is more of a, democratization is not the right word, but more advanced features and functions are being made available to smaller billers. Yet I think the end result, the reason for that is that it's become more commoditized. There are established providers out there, the FISERS, the FIS, um, ACI, and then there are new entrants like ourselves with our ObiPay platform and also Transactive Pay and Alias Wire, and the ones that fall in the middle ground like Paymentus and Cubra. So you're starting to see a more commodity-based function. Price margins get squeezed every year. More advanced features became available for less and less money. So that's, I think that's where we are. And the market's not necessarily reached saturation, but I think any medium to large size biller has a pretty decent solution. It's very rare that we see uh, something come up for RFP where they've got nothing, aside from very, very, very small opportunities. And uh, the other drive, the change is being driven by both, I need better features and functions, more integrated options, but also many in-house solutions as the PCI gets tougher and tougher every year to comply with. And we're seeing some of the older in-house solutions start to say, it's really not worth doing this anymore. I want to outsource this because getting maintaining my PCI compliance is just becoming more and more expensive and they're reaching the point where even things they could do last year are now in the scope of PCI. Now, I know you mentioned within, you know, reporting, within your app, uh, reporting is, is important and getting more specific uh, to your client is definitely a need. Are you seeing particular ways of payments uh, taking rain over others or is it kind of spread across the board uh, for bill payments in specific? I, historically, it used to be that ACH was king. Everybody had an ACH option and we're seeing more and more people, pressure from customers basically say, I, I want to pay with a card. Why don't you have card payment options? So we're seeing a sort of a swing from, I don't know, let's say 80% ACH, 20% card pass and the things are starting to balance off. And so we look at the split in our, our system. It's now sort of split evenly between ACH and card. So if you don't have a card payment solution, your customers complain. Um, getting building one in-house requires PCI compliance, which is expensive. So I think we're seeing more and more people move towards, I need cards as an option. And then I think as Zelle and those other options become more prevalent and we can work out how best to support them, we'll start to see those as more, not full payment options, but push payment options can suddenly go and just pay somebody using from their Zelle account, from their bank effectively as an alternative real-time, uh, alternative to, say, the traditional uh, MasterCard RPPS bill-based solution. If you don't go out and get PCI compliant and you sign up a vendor, you know, obviously that has its cost on the back end. 
Now, where where are ways to make up those types of costs uh, without having to charge the end customer, you know, part of their bill and, and you know, a certain percentage? Or does that go into the the customer's payment uh, in regards to, you know, the, the, the extra fees that are on top? It depends. Many billers, specifically utility companies and debt repayment organizations with debit card, have a choice. Well, utilities have a choice with credit card is that both Visa and MasterCard have schemes that allow you to fix the price of your utility payment if you sign up to be a, a utility. So you pay a flat fee regardless of the amount of the transaction. And it's more than an ACH. I think it's 65 cents through Visa, perhaps 70 cents through MasterCard. But it's better than paying 2.5% plus 25 cents. Right. The other, I think, driver is that regulated debit cards, the ones issued by larger financial institutions, the fee for those is five basis points plus around 22 cents a day, plus the merchant processor fees. So any transaction up to and around, and last time I checked, was around $400, $500. It costs the same as an ACH. Broad, broadly speaking, in terms of cost, if you look at a low-volume billet. So some clients are actively choosing to say, okay, well, I'm going to absorb the cost of this, but I'm going to do all I can to get on a special scheme that keeps my overall cost down. Other clients are not interested in absorbing any form of cost, and they will move towards the convenience fee model, or if they're local government and higher education, they'll switch to the, yeah, the service charge model where they can charge a percentage and that type of thing. But we're gradually seeing, I think, more and more clients say, well, the convenience fees are a bit unfair because I'm not paying that much. And we're starting to see people split things by channel. If you use this channel, there's no fee. You can use a debit card. If you want to use a credit card, you go over there and the convenience fees still apply. So starting to see that sort of breakdown by it truly is a convenience to use a credit card. If you want to use a debit card, I'll absorb the cost of those. I see. And then when, I guess, when you started, uh, you know, within this industry and, and where we are now, I'm sure checks were a predominant way of payment at the time. And now I'm assuming they're scarce in regards to bill payments. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of that and, and kind of where we're going for as far as check acceptance? Yeah, so I think the original rationale behind the EBPT solutions was two things. One, to stop customers mailing in checks and make it more convenient to pay electronically. At the end of the day, an ACH is sometimes called an e-check. Uh, but also, as part of that, because most people view if I receive a check, it doesn't cost me anything. But the businesses actually does. I think the average cost to receive a check is from 2015, about $1.35. So if they could persuade people to pay electronically and also go paperless at the same time, so they're not mailing them out a paper statement, you're probably talking the savings of around $2 a month there on a customer base. So I think the reason that paperless and EBPs become more commoditized is that solution is available and people have adopted it. And we see, depending on how it's sold to the clients, we see very high adoption rates or very low adoption rates. But if you just look at the numbers, the State of Federal Reserve reported in 2016 that in 2019.3% of household payments were via check. By 2015, that had dropped 7.1%. And conversely, the payments by ACH transfers or debit card or credit card had taken up that space. They remained roughly the same ratios. So what they also observed, I think Deluxe said, that paper check usage was declining at 2 billion items per year, roughly over that same period. And it coincides with the rise of the sort of Zilla Direct EBPP solution. So people were moving from having to write a check, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it and mail it in, or perhaps using their bill pay solution to go and direct to the, the client's site and uh, the bill of site and making payments there. But 
They observed that in 2016, the decline in paper checks had slowed to an 8 billion, uh, 0.8 billion checks lost, 800 million checks. So they've still arrived at that point that nothing's come along recently to further disrupt the usage of checks. So if you look at the majority of innovation over the last three, four years, it's been around cards. So Apple Pay, Android Pay, Square Readers, those types of things, and e-wallets in general, but mainly focused on card transactions. So the EBPP um, driver of um, direct deposit for payroll as well, that's been killing off checks, has slowed because nothing's come along. Now, we looked, and our internally our contention is that if you look at the analytics, that most a lot of the checks that are being produced are being produced by businesses. They're still writing checks to pay um, either other businesses or, from our perspective, if you look at it, they actually do disperse funds out to actual consumers. So I'm paying you for an insurance claim. I'm paying you for a dividend, for example, those types of things. And there seems to be a stronghold where paper checks still are prevalent in that whole disbursement area. And is that more for documentation uh, for the companies that they feel safer that they can document uh, by a paper route uh, to, I guess, the end beneficiary? Or what what is the reason behind that as far as why it hasn't been disrupted? I think historically, we've heard a number of some feedback from prospects and other people we've talked to that they were using it as part of a float management strategy. So if you mail out some checks worth $10 million, People aren't going to cash them straight away, so you can actually sit on the money you make float. But with the current low interest rate environment, I don't think anybody's getting rich doing that anymore. Uh, documentation was another one. Um, specifically, I think for insurance claims, they needed to be able to prove they've delivered something that paid the claim and had the, almost like an explanation of benefits as to what was paid out. But as you think about payroll and that model, uh, people used to get the pay stub and it used to have the breakdown of what was paid for in, in terms of taxes and everything. Most people don't get those anymore. They just have a summary that they can go to or a website they can go to. So what we've seen, I think one change that did affect, and we've seen some large insurers do this, is the issue of prepaid cards because they can still deliver the paper, but they're not having to physically print a check and mail it out. And my perspective is that, yeah, that's great because then you've got a vehicle that can be reloaded. But prepaid cards come with their own issues, and it's not just the cost of issuing a piece of plastic to a consumer. Uh, we think the, the ability to be able to deliver the transaction electronically but also provide the equivalent of a paperless bill will, from our perspective, help that adoption because you can prove it was delivered to an email address, all the documentation is available online, and you're not having to mail paper out through the postal service. Yeah, and, and I believe with the, I guess, the Gen X and Gen Y, they're going to be expecting digital payment over a paper check as probably I try to figure out what a paper check is <laughs> um, yeah. as they receive it in the mail. So I believe you know, those expectations really kind of change everything and force the business into this into this lane of disbursement. Well, yes. I mean, I mean, I couldn't, genuinely couldn't tell you the last time I wrote a check. My wife still writes the occasional check for school things, which seems odd because schools are all sorts of payment functions these days. These days. But that, that holds true. I mean, the other, I think the other major thing from a company perspective before we talk about Gen X and Gen Y is that, I mean, printing and mailing checks or prepaid cards is expensive compared to electronic mechanisms. So um, there's a report from, I think, 2015, 2016, that says the median cost for mailing out a paper check industry-wide for all respondents is around $3. Um, with small volume, that rises. We've seen a quote of around $5.91. And we had one client came to us that wanted to, that they were trying to not print 10,000 checks, and they said it was going to cost them $40,000 to mail those checks out. 
And these were checks for like $2.68. These yeah. were interest adjustments. So if you think you're paying $4 to pay out $2.68, the economics just don't make sense anymore. And the consumers just don't want it. Uh, there was a report came out uh, at the end of start of 2017 um, from the payments that they got responses from households. I think they said that 80% of people have received at least one disbursement and 68% of the respondents have received. That holds true. I have pet insurance and people receive two, three, four claims a year. And they come as paper checks and it's really annoying because then you have to go to the bank and pay them in. And in that summary, um, they stated that 14% of the respondents, which is a fairly large percentage, were very dissatisfied receiving checks overall. Now, that was a broad base. A uh, very broad, broad demographic. You can reasonably expect that the younger people and under banks would be more dissatisfied. Yeah. People using their phones to pay each other via Venmo, that type of thing. What are they going to do with a paper check? And if you're under bank, the paper checks basically like receiving your payroll of the check. You're in the realms of check cashing at that point. So I think they they would prefer more electronic methods. Yeah, and, and we believe next day ACH would probably be the cheapest option, but I mean, other options are going to be needed as well, right? So what, what, what type of other options would be available, you know, comparable to these? Well, I think if you look at the, you look at the numbers, the, the preferred payment method for what I would consider sort of recurring type payments is still direct deposit. Uh, based on this, the survey, 53.7% of respondents said they preferred direct deposit. That's interesting, that's only 50%, and I think that really is for true recurring like payroll or regular dividend payouts or insurance claims where you know you're going to receive the money on a regular basis. The interesting one was that instant payments were preferred by 22.4% of people, but that number skewed higher with people on lower incomes or people living paycheck to paycheck. So lower incomes being Gen X and Gen Y who just started a job or people living on paycheck, which is interesting that they had people earning a fairly substantial amount of money still living paycheck to paycheck. Cash check and non-instant payouts like prepaid cards are all grouped together roughly at around the 75 to 8% mark. Um, so factoring in those and the, 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 the underbanked, which is around, depending on which report you read, is around 30 to 40% of the population. Direct deposit is good, next day direct deposit, but it may not be the best option because you still have to wait a day to receive the money. And if you receive a payment on Friday, you can't get it on Saturday or Sunday. You have to wait until Monday, and then if Monday's a holiday, it becomes Tuesday. So we can see that the desire for instant payments is there because it gives you that immediacy, which, again, Gen X and Gen Y expect. They want things right now. They don't want to have to wait for a payment to show up. Yeah. And that's where the on-demand uh, type of generation is established yeah. within payments, within all content, and it seems to be just across yeah. the board. Yeah. Well, it was really good, really good having you on, Stuart. Uh, you know, this is really good information for our listeners. It's really exciting what you guys are doing over there. I know we've had conversations with different organizations within in Alacrity and, you know, really excited to what you're bringing to the table for other companies and empowering that transparency within other businesses for their disbursements. So if our listeners are interested in getting in touch with you, what's the, what's the best way of getting in contact? Probably best to go to the Alacrity website. There are contact mechanisms on there. So you've got alacrity.com. I think there's a contact us and there's a sales link as well. And that's the best way to get in touch because then it goes into our queues to be uh, effectively looked at. Excellent. Like I said, this is really good information for our listeners. I hope you enjoyed your time here, Stuart. Uh, as always, uh, we'll be in touch with you shortly, but I appreciate uh, you coming on the show today. Okay, that's great. Thank you for having me. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. 
we're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at CurrencyCloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.